Hello, and welcome back to the GamerNode Show. My name is Eddie Inzotto, your host and editor-in-chief of GamerNode.com, and you are listening to episode 83, in which I will be taking a look at a tabletop RPG-styled board game entitled Folklore the Affliction from Greenbrier Games. Now, originally I was planning to also add Legends of Andor The Last Hope from Cosmos to this podcast, but as a result of my limited editing schedule, I'm going to save that one for episode 84, so you already have something to look forward to. But before we get to that game, we are going to get to this game, Folklore The Affliction, from Greenbrier Games, which is now available for pre-order and scheduled for retail release in October 2018, uh, I would recommend getting on that because this, right up front, I'm going to tell you, it's a 5 out of 5 game. I was stunned by this game when I played it. And this is basically the closest thing you're going to get in a board game to a tabletop RPG. Now, the version I had was full of beautiful miniatures for all of your characters, as well as all of your enemies. The retail release, as I understand it, uh, it's about $48 on Miniature Market for pre-order right now, and uh, it only includes cardboard standees in place of the miniatures, and supposedly these miniatures are or will be available for purchase additionally. But if you just wanted to get into the game and didn't really care about those minis, that's a good way to save money because the first edition can cost you upwards of $100 to purchase on the secondary market. Anyway, that all aside, this game from Greenbrier Games is fantastic. This is a story-driven game with a, a, a sort of like an RPG feel, or, or very much an RPG feel, in that it has... This overworld map on which players will be moving their party and revealing particular events. Either if they're traveling on the road, you'll you'll uncover road events via a deck of cards, a thick deck of cards that you'll shuffle and have randomized, and various things can happen. You may encounter uh, citizens of the world, you know, NPCs. You may run into enemies and have fights. You may have to make decisions on these cards that will lead one way or the other, just simply containing a card. And these might lead to a quick fight. There are even different intensities for these encounters in that you have a different deck for on-road events and off-road events, and different text for whether it's daytime or nighttime. There's a day-night cycle in this game that goes turn by turn as you play. When you're out there on the overworld, you, you'll you have very much like, like a role-playing video game in that you'll be walking, walking, everything is somewhat abstracted in that it's pulled out and it's sort of a distant version of a map. And when you have these events, you may have what they call a skirmish, which is a quick battle that you can resolve with a few dice rolls that's very clever and really a very like high-level representation of what it would be like to get into a fight at that point. Whereas the game also has more detailed terrain cards that you can get into later on with your miniatures in a more tactical setting, turn by turn, player by player, 
that resembles much more closely a game like Descent or, or something of that nature, uh, a, a square-by-square, move-by-move, action-by-action combat scenario, or even, even not a combat scenario in some cases, maybe just representing moment-to-moment in a particular location where the timing of things matters. And those are basically um, cardstock maps that you'll place down on the table as the game requests it. And another thing about this game is that you play entirely from the rule book. There's a, a well, from the storybook. As you play, you don't you don't need to read the rules in folklore really. There's a, a brief section where you get the overall concepts of the game. It'll tell you how you go about setting up the game, how you choose your character, and select between two focuses that will each give you a particular ability that will come into play throughout the game. From there, it'll teach you about how you upgrade your character's abilities, go up on what's called a lore tree, which is essentially spending experience points to earn new skills or new bonuses, how you will select your ability cards, which provide you with powers that you can use later, how you collect your starting item cards, what those do, um, maybe if your character has any mystic knowledge, which, uh, which will be in the form of prayers and rituals, depending on whether it's sort of light magic or dark magic. And then you'll be just put right into the story journal and you'll follow along and it'll tell you what each box that shows up in the text means, how it is a, essentially a call to action. Um, it might explain how to do a skill check when the skill check is relevant. It might explain how to make a choice and branch the storyline as that becomes relevant. It may, you know, it'll tell you all the rules as you play, and it it's really the most effective method I've seen to getting players into a game where they're not expected to have read the rule book. And what's more important is it it feels a little bit tutorialized, but even in the beginning, it feels like a real game, a solid game. And then anything that comes up within the story journal, anything that comes up within your your party's story will be a little bit of a surprise. It'll be sort of a novel idea at the time when you first encounter it. So your first fight, you'll be learning how to have a fight. Your first, you know, your first skirmish will be a learning experience. Your first in-depth fight will be a learning experience. Your first time that you set up a detailed map area with enemies and terrain and and um, interactive points on the map represented often by dice and and various objectives on the map. This will all be new to you as you play, and it'll be very exciting, and the game is very, very exciting. It's, it's really very simple in concept. You know, it's, it's a role-playing game, and it's got, I believe, six campaign scenarios, which is a good healthy number, and the game takes a good while to get through, especially with numerous players. And what's very special about this way of presenting a game is that 
you feel immersed. This is an immersive experience, unlike almost any other game, because you're not thinking about rules, really. You're not, you're not playing mechanisms. You're, you're going through your adventure. You're playing through the adventure and the rulebook and the storybook which actually refer back to each other. You might hit a spot in the storybook and it'll say, oh, refer to this page, check this out. That's how this works. You know, the storybook gives you all the details of the story. It'll tell you what happens at the town that you reach. It'll tell you how an enemy appears and this conflict that that is uh, plaguing the land that you have to go and resolve and maybe you have to make a choice. Maybe you have to go... You get advice from one character who suggests, oh, I need to go do this task and it'll lead me to success. And maybe another character might tell you that there's a different way to resolve this conflict. And, you know, you may have to go to a a different place and encounter a different event or enemy or something. And you're then expected to decide which path to take. And it's incredible the way that the game can be so captivating just through its its written text that seamlessly blends into what the players do and how they interact with the game. And it's really something I have not experienced with a board game that brought back all of the feelings, maybe not all of the feelings, but many of the feelings that I had while playing tabletop RPGs with my friends when I was uh, much younger. And this comes all in in a self-contained box, just ready to go, all the stories ready for you. So the theme, I guess, is a good place to start. This is Folklore the Affliction, and the story is that you arrive in this particular land where there is this affliction plaguing the place. Uh, There are monsters showing up. It's all all very... um, it's almost like a gothic horror type game. You'll you'll encounter vampires and ghosts and werewolves and monsters of that nature. It's it's a different setting. It's a different theme from most of the dungeon crawls or or fantasy adventure games that you'll encounter. Um, and it's not a dungeon crawl. That's the thing. It's a different sort of game and. I would most closely compare, I guess, the overworld aspect of it more to like a, a runebound, but different in its own way because of the guided narrative of it, and uh, and it lacks the, the random element of placing event tokens and markers and cards out on the board. This is a more curated experience in that the story is written for you. Um, the events, obviously, as you travel throughout the overworld map will be randomized, but those are not the primary consequential pivotal moments of the game, and they serve as a good gameplay mechanism in between those larger events and great and interesting moments throughout, but it's the, it's the junctures at the destinations that you're planning to get to based on what the what the story plans for you that will be the big memorable moments the encounters the the conversations the choices now when you get into those more 
detailed moments, the game switches from feeling a little bit more like that runebound overworld adventure game into being something a little bit more like a descent, which uh, I had mentioned before. But it's so focused and so far from generic um, and so far from mechanically procedural that it feels different from anything else. Um, even in those moments where you're having the fights and you have to go turn by turn and you're planning and strategizing, the moment feels like a unique experience and it feels monumental in its importance at the moment, which is fantastic. And I really love that because many of the dungeon crawls and adventure games, they do end up feeling somewhat generic. Oh, I'm, I'm traveling down this corridor. I run into these enemies in this bigger room because that's what happens. You get through a hallway and you open up into a large room and there it is. There are no hallways in Folklore the Affliction. No corridors. So that may turn you off if you're a huge dungeon crawl fan. I mean, I love a good dungeon crawl, don't get me wrong. But this places your characters in important locations to the story. So it's really cutting any of the fat, any of the filler that you get in a lot of games. Anyway, so we talked about the theme. It's, it's this gothic horror theme, and you're trying to rid this land of the sort of evil that's plaguing it, the, the uh, horrific pestilence and the weird things that are occurring out in the fields, uh, at, the, at the tower, blah, blah, blah. So you don't know what's going on when you get there. It's very much a mystery. The, the beginning of the game is you arrive at this church at the base of the map, and you are briefed on the first thing going wrong, and the guy tells you, go. And there's even an encounter right off the bat. It gets you really into the swing of things, really into the into the mood, I'll say, for, for getting on your adventure. And it ramps up and up and up and up and up. And there are different characters, different players from different factions, different... Um, different threats to the land uh, from coming at you from different directions and it's all sort of tied together which is super cool like you'll do something in the second scenario that you'll realize is related to something in the fourth scenario for example which is super cool and even better things that you do in earlier scenarios will come back and have effects on later scenarios in a real way you will encounter characters and make decisions surrounding those characters or succeed or fail at tasks related to those characters. And then later on, that will come into play because that character might show up again later. And based on what happened earlier, the result of what happens later could be wildly different. It could be a big deal or it could be literally nothing, <laughs> depending on what happens in earlier scenarios. Super cool. Not many board games, hey, not even many video games really have that sort of effect on later gameplay and that sort of variability to what could happen later. And there are branching paths. You will skip portions in the storybook when you make decisions. You will read the book. It'll say, okay, if you want to do this, 
skip ahead to the section with headline blah blah blah. So you skip ahead to section blah blah blah, you skipped over section whatchamacallit, and you will never come back to section whatchamacallit. You can read it if you want and see what would have happened, but you could go through the whole game without ever knowing what happened in section whatchamacallit. Um, now, of course, as in pretty much any game, those paths will find a place to sort of link up again, but it's the journey, right? Not the, not the destination. Now, in any good adventure story, there are not only the locations where you have the big pivotal battles and, and interactions with story elements, but there are also towns. And in each of the towns, you have the option to visit particular buildings like uh, the apothecary, the gypsy caravan, the chapel, the inn. Um, these are all places where you can go and you can spend money to purchase things. You can purchase services like healing. You can purchase um, equipment like bandages or potions or things. You can buy new weaponry, buy new items. You can, you can upgrade your abilities. You can get bonuses. There are boons. There are, there are detriments that you'll be inflicted with as you play the game, and you may need to remove those. You may, you know, you may get these benefits. So, for example, some of the statuses and conditions that are possible in this game, there's such a wide... I'll, I'll read them all, actually. So there are positive ones like blessed, brave, ethereal, faithful, favored, fortified, lucky, perceptive, respected, swift. And there are negatives like you have bloodlust, you're cursed, deranged, fractured, immobilized, lycanthropic, possessed, sickened, spooked, transformed... So there are a lot of very unique statuses and conditions in this game that are not not just limited to the simple tropes of of you know uh high fantasy. Super cool. Um so let's let's quickly get back to that the difference between uh skirmishes and and encounters. So the skirmishes are are sort of like these high level fights that you'll get into on on the overworld map or whenever the game says uh, skirmish one skeleton or something like that. This is so cool the way that they break this up because it allows you to feel like you are having encounters without wasting your time, you know. Um, in any good role-playing game, a big part of it is feeling like you are making progress, you're, you're encountering enemies, you're defeating enemies, and you are improving your character, you're, you're gaining experience, you're eventually leveling up. Um, but in a board game, if you were to have a detailed encounter, you know, moving point to point, taking turns, rolling dice, whittling away at hit points, etc., it would, it would become a little laborious. So in a skirmish, basically all you do is you're going to determine the strength of the enemies you're skirmishing, usually it's like a, a mob of things, you know, or, or it's a particular enemy and it has a varying level of strength based on the number of players and a die roll that references the number of players. You'll then just simply choose to attack or defend. The creature will attack you with a single die roll. They may hit, they may not. If they do, you take wounds. Then you'll attack and it's a simple die roll and it uses d hundreds. So 
each each enemy is going to have a strength and a defense based on a d100 as will you and um if you make that successful roll you simply reduce the the strength counter the skirmish counter that's on the skirmish side of their character sheet the the enemy character sheet and then you just go back and forth and whoever wins you know it's usually the characters you you get some loot you get some experience and that's it very simple whereas in a true encounter these enemies they will have a certain number of hit points they will have a might power their their strength that varies based on game difficulty um they will have special powers they will have a list of abilities that trigger when they roll a particular number on a d10 that will determine how they're attacking your party and the game has the ability to track up to four of each enemy type just using their one card and these interesting little counter cards that that track their their vita their hit points so where we went through the process for the skirmish, which was very streamlined, this uh, encounter is a little bit different. You'll determine, first you determine who gets the, what they call the first strike, which is an initiative roll. It's a D10 initiative roll. So that's something that can be modified or can be explained away in the story journal and say, oh, the enemy has first strike in this battle. So that's something that is modifiable by the game as it sees fit. Then... On your turn, you can move on the map space by space. You can take a particular action. You can attack. You can activate an item or an artifact. You can use a prayer or ritual magic spell. Um, You can interact with a feature on the map. Uh, you You don't have to go directly at the enemy turn by turn. You are free in space to do your sandbox action, move around the map. Maybe you have to move around the map and interact with a feature because it's part of the goals that is set forth by the storybook. You can use consumable items. You can enact a special ability. You can equip and unequip items or trade them with your party members. Um, You might even have a summoned ally or a companion, an NPC, that has joined you along the way that you can activate. And then more specifically, when you get down to the actual combat portion of the game, you will have a an attack roll, and then you will have another roll for whatever weapon you're using that will determine what happens to your enemy. Or if you're using a power you'll have a role that will specifically give you an effect that's going to happen. So it's a much more detailed combat system, but it's not overly complicated or overly complex. There are line of sight rules, there are area of effect rules, but it never feels tedious, which is fantastic. And there's so many other things that can happen. There can be flames in combat, there can be a swarm of enemies. You might have to squeeze into a smaller space. Um, you'll have boons, you'll have detriments, you'll, you'll have status impairments. It's 
it's really a very complete game. And it's done in such a fantastic way that is not overly encumbered by rules or procedure, which I can't I can't say enough about. But but outside of the mechanical aspects of the game, the the cohesiveness of the story and the flow of the gameplay from adventuring to to exploration to encounters to battles to uh, to completing tasks to making decisions is fantastic. Oh, and one thing I didn't mention is you actually if you die in this game, you are not automatically dead. You your character turns into a ghost and you still take part in the campaign using you'll you'll flip over your Vita cards, your hit point card that's tracking your hit points throughout the game, and you'll then have ghost points which are shared health and action points to use throughout the game, which is super cool. And then you'll you'll be able to come back from being a ghost if you make it back to town and do whatever's required to do that, which is really, really super cool. Um, if your whole group dies, then it's a different story. You just you kind of start over again. But um, the game is fantastic, I'll tell you that. I, I think I'm going to leave it there for Folklore the Affliction. It's It's really not about the mechanics, so a mechanical explanation is not is not really the way to talk about it, but the experience of what this is, I think I've gotten across. It is really the best thing, the 100% best thing I've seen in board game form for recreating the RPG feeling, the RPG experience in board game form literally nothing better. This game is fantastic. It's a 5 out of 5, and I recommend it 100%. Super cool. Unless you're just not into that, then you already know. Don't listen to me, because it's not your thing. Um, so yeah, Greenbrier Games, Folklore the Affliction. It's uh, $48 available for pre-order right now on Miniature Market, probably right around that price on other sites. I, I like Card House and uh, Cool Stuff Inc. also. But yeah, if if you've been looking for an adventure RPG sort of game in board game form, then you probably haven't found it yet because I've always been disappointed in everything when I think, oh, this could be what I'm looking for, and it never is. Folklore is it, 100%. I can't recommend it enough. Five out of five. I believe this is going to be a game that resides in my top ten when I finally do tell you guys about my top 10. So yeah, five out of five, Folklore the Affliction, get it. And a five out of five is masterful. So that's an outstanding top tier gaming experience. Its negative qualities are few and far between, making it overwhelmingly enjoyable and a classic experience. It's not necessarily perfect, but still worth falling in love with. Everyone should play this first rate game, Folklore the Affliction. And that will do it for episode 83 of The Gamer Node Show, your review of Folklore The Affliction from Greenbrier Games. Thank you so much for listening once again. I'm Eddie Inzotto, and until next time, catch us on Instagram, at GamerNode, Twitter, 
at GamerNode, Facebook.com slash GamerNode, and YouTube.com slash GamerNode, where you'll get all our video reviews. Bye for now, and until next time, you have fun out there. Thank you.